Hey guys, Rob Skiba here. So we're continuing uh, our trip down memory lane and uh, just sh I'm sharing with you the journey that has led me to where I am today and where we are with the seed project, uh, where we started from and where we are today, what it took to get there. And one of the things that um, comes up a lot of times when I meet with people, especially if they have a project that they're trying to get started or if they have a message that they're trying to get out is, how did you do it, Rob? I mean, how did you go from, you know, Joe Blow that nobody knew anything about to, you know, writing books and producing DVDs and getting on this public speaking circuit and having a radio show and all that kind of stuff? Well, so I, I thought I'd kind of uh, back up a little bit and describe what that looked like uh, for me. And I mentioned in some of the previous broadcasts that I just recently uploaded that, uh, you know, I've had this vision for seed, so I started writing that. That was sort of, that's my project, okay? If you have a project, what you need to do is go find groups of people that are like-minded, that have um, whatever you can find, you know, people meeting and getting together in a social media setting that is related to whatever it is you're talking about. In my case, Seed, you know, is television. So, of course, you know, science fiction and f fantasy and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I look for Facebook groups that fit that genre. And also it uh, deals with a lot of nonfiction research. So specifically stuff related to the Nephilim, for instance. So, like I explained in one of my previous videos, uh, I found Facebook groups that dealt with the Nephilim. And whatever I had for content, whether it be a blog or a radio show or a video that I produced um, related to the Nephilim, I would insert that into the conversation. So that's sort of step one. Well, step one is have an idea, have a vision, have a dream, have some kind of content. And one thing I've learned is that there's an audience for everything. So whatever it is, there's an audience for, there's other people out there who care about whatever it is that you care about. So in my case, you know, I found some Nephilim uh, Facebook groups. Pe people are talking about the weird and the supernatural and giants and things of that nature. And I had produced a video talking about that. So I posted a video there and you never know who's going to see it. That's the point, right? So I posted it there and this guy named Doug Riggs, who deals with satanic ritual abuse, and he had uh, like all the big speakers, all the all the researchers that I was researching, the, the content that I was using for my research, these were the content producers. He had them on an email list, and he's like, hey, guys, check it out. And he took my video. I didn't know him, didn't know anything about him, uh, but he saw my video in, in that uh, Facebook group, and he sent the link off to Tom Horn and Gary Stearman and all these other people. And so that was the, the the initial thing that sort of got me noticed, if you will. The other thing was is I created my radio show, and you can create a radio show for yourself also. We are in an age where, I mean, if you want to do it, you can, now is the time to do it. Blog Talk Radio was how I got started, and I don't know what the rules are now, but when I first started, you could have a, a daily half-hour show, and you pick your time, whatever time during the day that worked for you. Uh, picked a, a half-hour time slot that worked for me, but then I realized, uh, you know, I could barely say hello in a half hour. I needed more time than that. So I think at the time it was like $50 a month or something like that to have uh, a three-hour show, uh, two hours live and one hour additional that went into the archive. So what that looked like is I could host a show live where you guys could listen in and uh, and interact and participate and call into the show, whatever they give you a studio and your own phone number and everything. You can have callers call in 
uh, and I could do that for two hours, and then it would drop off, the live stream would drop off, but I could continue to talk for another hour uh, and then end the show, and then in the archive, people could listen to the full three hours if they wanted to. And so, you know, the two-hour show was great. I could I could do two hours a day, um, have, I think it was unlimited callers, uh, and you know, I had things that I wanted to talk about, but I'll give you a little hint here. The real reason I created my radio show is because I wanted to talk to the researchers that I was interested in. And, you know, these guys are busy. You know, I get it now. I mean, if you've tried to get a hold of me, you know, it's it's hard to get a hold of me. You, you know, if you call me or text me or send me an email, chances are I will see it. I will read it. I will listen to it. But whether or not I'm able to get back to you, that's a whole other issue. It's you know, it's rare that any phone call that I have uh, is is less than an, almost an hour. You know, half hour is is being generous. Uh, usually, the most conversations I have with people go for a long time. I just don't have that kind of time, and I don't have time for long emails, and I don't have time to be responding to hundreds of emails. So, you know, I apologize if I don't get back to people, but you got to understand you know, there's a lot coming in and it's just physically impossible to do it. And now that I am that guy and am in that position, I now understand why it was so hard for me to get in contact with the other guys that, you know, that I was trying to reach. And then I realized, well, wait a minute, they all have books, they all have DVDs. And anytime you're, especially if you're a self-published author, but even if you're not, even if you have a publisher, you got to get the word out. Otherwise nobody knows your book exists or your, your DVD or anything like that. So, you know, all of these guys who are producing content, they want the world to know about it. So uh, I started contacting them. And instead of this random email from somebody they don't know saying, hey, can you tell me about this? And what are your, what are your thoughts on the Nephilim here? And what do you think about Nimrod? And what do you think about this? They don't have time to respond to that. But they do have time to come on a radio show to promote whatever book it is because they spent a lot of time and probably money and, you know, put a lot of effort into producing this content. Now they got to move it. They got to start you know, getting it out to the to the public. And the only way you're going to do that is to get the word out. So they like to come on radio shows. And, and so I selfishly started my revolutionary radio project specifically for the purpose of being able to talk to other people that I wanted to talk to for two hours. It was a win-win. I get to pick their brain and they get to get the, the word out for, you know, whatever book or DVD or project that they have going. So, you know, they benefit and I benefited from it. Um, and in the process of bringing, you know, names on my show, people that were already in the public scene, getting them on my show, I was bringing their audience over to me. Because it's like, oh, wow, you know, he, Rob's interviewing L.A. Marzulli. Cool. So L.A. Marzulli's audience found out, you know, because he was promoting it too. Hey, I'm going to be in the Revolutionary Radio Project or whatever, you know. He would post something, you know, either talk about it on his radio show or on social media or whatever. And so... People who love his work would come over to my channel, my blog talk channel, to listen to me interviewing L.A. because they were really there to hear hear L.A. But over time, as I started interviewing more and more people like that, um, I started to build an audience. People started thinking, hey, you know, Rob's got some pretty cool people on his show. You know, so they started listening to my show. So uh, you could do the same thing. You know, I don't know how much stuff is now because I'm not on blog talk anymore. Um, after I did about 200 shows on blog talk, uh, Chris Geo contacted me from Truth Frequency Radio and offered me a position as a host on, on their show. Um, and actually, TFR pays their hosts. I was paying Blog Talk. TFR pays their hosts. You know, a percentage of however many subscribers we bring in. It's not a lot, but hey, you know, 
it, it every little bit helps, right? So uh, that's why I left Blog Talk and went to TFR because you know it's for free and they offered the same services. And actually, uh, TFR is broadcast not just on the internet but also um, on several FM radio station, you know, FM affiliates. So you know, I don't even know how big the numbers are. You know, I, I know the people that follow me on Facebook or on YouTube or whatever, but I really don't know how many people are listening just on their FM radio stations uh, or even on TFR. They probably have stats I could check. But anyway, uh, just to say, look, there's an audience for whatever it is that you're talking about, and there are tools out there that make it possible for you to get the word out, even for free. You can have that half-hour show. If you need more time than that, well, you got to pay for it, but it's not that bad. I mean, it's not that unreasonable. Uh considering the benefit of doing so. Uh, so that's how I got started with uh, Blog Talk Radio. And you, know, you heard the story in one of the previous uploads that I just did recently. After um, Doug Riggs sent that email out, one of the recipients of the email apparently was Tom Horn, and he saw the video that I had produced and that I posted on a, on a Facebook post that Randy Domain had actually. He, he started a conversation about a book of the Nephilim that he had recently written and whatever he was talking about, I was like, hey, this this goes along with what I had just produced. So I posted my video on his thread uh, in some Facebook group about the Nephilim. Doug Riggs saw it, sent it out on email. Tom Horn got that email and Tom Horn called me, which was like huge for me. I was like, what? <laughs> I was totally geeking out, freaking out over that. That was just like the ma- most amazing thing ever. Um, and started sort of a, rela- a relationship with him and, you know, via email and whatnot, we're communicating. And he said, hey, listen, we're going to be in Ohio doing this conference up there. You know, I'm going to be there. Russ Dizzer is going to be there. Derek and Sharon Gilbert and a few others are going to be there. You know, be, we'd love to meet you. And I thought, man. And now, of course, we were flat broke. When I left my job April 1st, 2010, we went from a good-paying full-time job with benefits to zero. Nothing. No money coming in. No, that was April 2010. And I want to say it was October I think that that uh, Ohio conference was it was later in that that same year, but I just knew I had to do it. So you know, sometimes there are things that, depending on how desperate you are to get your message out and whatever, whatever you, you know your desires are, you got to make sacrifices sometimes. And for us, it's like, honey, I, I just feel like I really have to go to this. And she's like, all right, let's go. So you know, we did. We drove up there. We went there. We met. A lot of great people. Of course, we met Tom Horn and uh, got to hang out with them. Gave him a signed copy of my script and a, a really cool little scroll, uh, just as a way of thanking him. And uh, got to hang out with Derek and Sharon Gilbert. And uh, Derek was the first person who interviewed me. It was the first time I was a guest on a radio show. Was on, so he he gave me that break. So all of a sudden, you know, Derek had already been on the public scene. Uh, with his show for quite a while and already built a reputation of bringing on all kinds of other guests. So he had already built a pretty sizable audience. So he was able to introduce me to his large audience. Um, you know, hung out with Russ Dizdar and, you know, all that kind of stuff opened up uh, some other doors for us. And uh, uh, eventually Tom Horn also interviewed me on his radio show. And he said, I needed to talk to this guy, David Hitt, who happened to live about a half hour away from where I live here in Texas. So I, I went to lunch with him, had a great conversation with him, come to find out that David Hitt and Tom Horn were getting together to produce a, a conference called the Future Congress. Now, you know, I just knew, like, I wanted to go to that because I, I knew that there was going to be quite a number of people there. 
Um, and in fact, I was trying to find stuff on the future Congress. There is a really cool, uh, another cool tool for you to, you know, put in your tool belt if you ever need to. Is you know, a lot of times you go to websites and they've either been updated um, or they're not there anymore. Maybe the whole website's down or whatever. There's a internet archive called the Wayback Machine that you could. Uh, I think it's uh, web.archive.org. I believe is the is the URL. You could just Google Wayback Machine, and you'll find it. And in the Wayback Machine, you could punch in whatever website you're looking for, and see go, go back in time and see what it looked like. So in this case, I looked up prophecyinthenews.com because Prophecy in the News today is looks much different, and they've had some changes, uh, you know, in their ministry and whatnot over the last few years. So much different website now, different people there now. Uh, Gary Stearman used to be the host there with uh, J.R. Church, and then Gary uh, later went off on his own uh, not long after J.R. Church died. Uh, so anyway, Prophecy News is different now, and I couldn't find anything on their website. So I went to the Wayback Machine, punched in prophecynews.com, and went back to 2011, because that's when the future Congress was, and looking through the archives there, I saw this. This was Bob Ulrich's review of the future Congress. I'm not going to read all this to you here. Uh, you could look it up if you're interested for yourself. But um, the speakers that were there, uh, there was G. Edward Griffin was there, Chuck Missler, Tom Horn, Gary Stearman, Russ Dizdar, Chris Putnam, Doug Woodward, Randall Price, Noah Hutchings, Terry James, David Hitt, Chris Pinto, Derek and Sharon Gilbert, Doc Marquis, Mike Bennett, Chris White, Barry Dyke, John McTurnan, Andrew Hoffman, Mike Tarter, Jim Fletcher, Ray Gano, Jeff Patty, Keith Robinson, and, of course, myself. And I, I don't know if I, I got everybody. I think that was pretty much everybody there. Uh, I mean, a lot of speakers there. Uh, in getting to, like, meet Chuck Missler, for instance, was like, wow. I mean, and what was even more cool, I mean, all these people were very accessible, uh, as you know, of anybody that's ever been to some of these conferences, you can, you know, walk up to their tables and meet them, you know, most of the time and, and have some cool conversations. But as a speaker myself, um, you know, I got to hang out with them back in the green rooms and, you know, the, the stuff that was uh, put on specifically for the speakers. So it was a chance to network with these guys and kind of pick their brains and exchange business cards and stuff like that. So th that's really what, you know, what happened for me is, you know, I got to meet and greet and hang out and talk with all these people and truly network. Now they say you got to have your elevator speech ready. Uh, when I was in marketing, that was a, a big thing, you know, and even in the film industry, if you're trying to market a script or, you know, pitch, uh, uh, you, you know, your movie project or something like that, you, you've got to have an elevator speech. What's that? Well, basically, you should be able to describe whatever it is that you're passionate about to whomever it is that you're trying to convince uh, in, in a, a short enough period of time that you could have the conversation while riding in an elevator. And that's exactly what happened uh, for me at the Future Congress was, uh, you know, I, I got to meet and greet a lot of these people, but, uh, and I didn't really, really even know who Gary Stearman was. I, I mean, I think I was aware of Prophecy in the News, but it, it wasn't something that I had really, a show that I didn't really watched much or, you know, knew a whole lot about. Um, but I can see that he was a bigwig there at the conference. You know, he was a well-respected person that a lot of people were talking about and talking to. And I listened, I sat in on a few of his lectures, and they were all awesome. And so, you know, as I got to figure things out a little bit and learn 
who these people were and what they did, and that he had a an internationally recognized prophecy television show. I thought, oh, I got to talk to this guy. So uh, I had my two DVDs, which I just recently uploaded the content of mythology and the coming great deception and the Roswell, the Mount Hermon Roswell connection. Um, so I, I had these two DVDs uh, uh, readily available and I got on an elevator and I didn't plan this, but he ended up getting on the elevator also. And I just happened to have it in my bag with me. And from the ground floor lobby area, wherever we were to, I believe it was the third floor, I gave him my quick little elevator speech about these projects. And uh, I said, hey, you know, Gary, you know, I really enjoyed your lecture today. And, uh, you know, if you have time, whatever, you know, I'd love to give these to you and, you know, have you check them out. And he's like, yeah, sure, I'll check them out. So, you know, he took my two DVDs. And, you know, the Future Congress was in uh, July 2011, uh, toward the end of July, if, uh, if memory serves. And uh, I want to say it was about a month later or so. Uh, that I got a call from Gary Stearman because I had my contact information on my on the DVD, and he said, you know, I, I finally got a chance to watch your DVDs, and uh, I'd actually really love to have you come on Prophecy and News and talk about it. And I was like, oh, this is it, this is awesome. Um, and you know, they had a really good deal going. I don't know if they still do it, but basically, the deal is you sell whatever your projects are or your product to them. Um, for half of retail. So whatever you've set your retail price for, they get it at a wholesale price of half half the retail. And uh, and then, of course, they, they sell it for the retail price so they get the markup. And so, you know, that that's a great deal, great for everybody. Now, you, you come on their show, at least at that time, it was on your own dime. Uh, so uh, Sheila and I was like, we got to go, you know. Uh, and they were up in Oklahoma. And so... I want to say it was about a four-hour drive or something, four or five maybe, something like that. Um, whatever it was, it wasn't terribly bad, um, except for the fact that as soon as we got, I got a rental car because my car wasn't going to make it. You know, that, I don't want to put that much mileage on my car, so we rented a car. And I don't know what it was, but as soon as I sat, it was a little sports car. As soon as I sat down in the car, uh, I, I turned sideways to put something in the glove compartment, and I heard this pop, and something happened in my back, and just. <laughs> like it hurt really, really bad. I was in a lot of pain. Oh man! So, but uh, we had to go. I needed to get up there. Um, so we drove up there in tremendous amount of pain. So I'm going to show you the video. Uh, they did. A, they recorded four shows with me. I could only find three of the four. I, I, uh, somewhere out there, people had. Some people have reposted it on YouTube and what have you. So uh, I found three of the four. Um, because all the other stuff is gone uh, from the Prophecy and News site. So uh, I'm going to air those for you in a minute, but if I look a little stiff, it's because I I was in so much pain. I was sitting there, you know, and I, I couldn't move. Like, any movement I made just hurt like you wouldn't believe. So, you know, I'm sitting very, stri very stiff through the whole thing, but that's because I was in so much pain. But anyway, uh, Gary interviewed me, and they split it up into four different uh, broadcasts. Uh, two 10-minute uh, prophecy updates that they aired and then two half-hour shows. Uh, and that went out to their audience and that's what really just <laughs> catapulted us right into the public scene. So even though um, to this day I don't even know why or what happened, we've, we've had a bit of a falling out. Uh, you'd have to ask Gary, I guess, why that is. 
Uh, perhaps we'll talk about that a little bit later on. But at least in the beginning, uh, they they really really loved my stuff and wanted to have me on and talk about it. So I will now play the uh, video from my time at Prophecy in the News. Well, our guest today is Rob Skiba. I met Rob recently at the uh, Future Congress meeting, and I'll tell you what, uh, he presented some information that people were talking about. They were in the halls between presentations. Uh, I heard Rob's name mentioned it, and I met him there at Future Congress in Branson, Missouri. Rob, welcome to Prophecy in the News. Thank you, Gary. Good to have you here. Uh, you have produced a couple of uh, DVDs which we're going to be talking about. One is called Mythology and the Coming Great Deception. The other one is called the Mount Hermon Roswell Connection. And uh, stay with us. We'll be talking about both of these DVDs. Rob, you feel, as I do, that it's high time for the church to wake up. Yes. Uh, we have the Christian church out there, and uh, I'm not being hypercritical of the Christian church, but I want to say that church teaching I think falls short of the things that uh, the Lord would have us to learn about in these last days. And I know, Rob, you feel the same way, right? Yeah, very much so. Uh, I've always found that scripture extremely sobering where it talks about a coming great deception would be so great that even the elect could be deceived by if it were yeah. possible. Uh, and I didn't want to be in that category. <laughs> now, we're going to go right back to the beginning. Let me start by reading Genesis 6 because really that's a kind of the focal point of what we'll be talking about today. And it has to do with... Uh, the things which are taught to uh, young preachers today. Genesis 6, 1, And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and took them wives of all they chose. Now, Rob, here we get into a big discussion. Yeah. Because a, a major part of, of the, uh, the Christian church at large uh, wants to make those sons of God ordinary human beings, and the women, of course, uh, ordinary human wives. Yeah. But there's a faction of the church that's becoming increasingly sensitized to the fact that we're, we're not talking about that at all, and that's where our discussion starts. Yeah, for sure. I, and that's always frustrated me. I didn't go to seminary, but uh, I've been in the church my whole life around theologians and served in the ministry for six and a half years. And I'm aware that a lot of the seminaries do talk about what's known as the Sethite theory, Mm -hmm. And here I am, haven't been to seminary, and I can tell that the sons of God is a phrase that's used elsewhere, like in the book of Job. And those same scholars have no problem accepting the phrase in Job as angels, but when you get into Genesis, they don't, they don't want to accept right. that. And, I'm, and I, I just simply pose the question, well, if it's really just the, the, the sons and daughters of Cain and Seth, how do you produce Gog, Gog of, or Og of, of Bashan or Goliath? I mean, how does that happen? How do you get a 15-footer <laughs> with yeah. kissing cousins? Well, and, you know? and of course, I didn't read the next verse, but I'll go ahead and do it because it uses the word uh, giants. The Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for uh, that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. Verse 4 says, There were giants in the earth in those days, and also after that, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bare children to them. The same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. Mm -hmm. You know, the historian Flavius Josephus comments on these mighty men, and he mm -hmm. says that they were the uh, the Titans. Yeah. Now, who are the Titans? Well, and that's that's interesting that you should bring that up because I started looking at some of the other myths 
that are out there, starting with the Sumerian myths, the Babylonian, the Egyptian myths, and, mm-hmm. and of course the Greek myths that you just mentioned. And it's funny reading Josephus; he didn't have much respect for the Greeks <laughs> at all. That's true. You know, he's against Apion and some of those things. He's writing about how the Greeks were just basically rip-off artists, and they were, you know constantly embellishing uh, facts and whatnot. And so I give their mythology the least amount of credibility when I'm looking at the mythologies. But I began to see the terms that the different uh, groups were using, like the Anunnaki, Mm -hmm. or like the Titans, or the Olympians, and some of these things. And I began to try to look at these things from a a biblical perspective, and I came to believe that the Titans are essentially what, what I would consider first generation Nephilim. The Nephilim, uh, and from the, uh, the Hebrew, nafal, which mm. means to fall. Nephilim would be a, a, a plural. plural. Cognomen, meaning the fallen ones, right? Mm-hmm. And, of course, they were fallen angels. And I think there are a lot of people who have watched Prophecy in the News for years and been through uh, a number of discussions on this subject. But I want to get specifically to mythology. That's the name of your DVD, Mythology and the Coming Great Deception. Rob, a lot of people look at quote-unquote Greek mythology and they think of it as stories, right. entertaining stories about fictional people. Uh, you don't take that view at all, do you? Yes and no. Okay. Um, even in the uh, Sumerian myths, uh, predating all of that, uh, I've, got, I've got a book here, uh, Myths of Mesopotamia, mm-hmm. and even the scholars that look at the Sumerian epics and whatnot, they acknowledge that in ancient times they didn't have an in-flight movie when they went on a long journey. <laughs> you know, yeah. So one of the things that they would do is hire uh, one of the, the best orator, the best speaker that they could find to tell stories for the long journeys. And so what you find is a lot of the epics, especially the Sumerian epics in this case, uh, were just embellishments on something that was true. So there was mm-hmm. a kernel of truth in these things, but then the, depending on their audience and when and where they lived, they would embellish it, change it, modify it as necessary. Mm-hmm. So it's basically the equivalent of Star Wars or Lord of the Rings in our day. Mm-hmm. You know, the way we quote movies, they were quoting uh, various stories throughout the centuries. And, and of course, the Greeks did the same thing. Uh, much later. And it was a big part of their society. The yes. amphitheaters, you know, the, the, the uh, semicircular amphitheaters were places where those myths were recited. Yes. And people learned them almost by heart. And it became part of their religion, part of their belief system. They really did believe that there were demigods who came down to earth. For them, it was just a matter of this is the truth and we believe it. In fact, they would pay honor to those gods. They Mm. would bring tithes and offerings and pray for blessing and so forth and so on. And uh, in some cases, the Greeks even believed those gods might come back someday. Well, there's a friend of mine who, who wrote a book and he suggests in his book that we should view the Bible from a mythological worldview which on the surface sounds like a really strange thing to say because oh, yeah. as believers we look at everything from a biblical worldview. Right. Uh, but when I sat back and looked at what he was saying, I found that he's absolutely right because when you, you look at the 66 books and you realize that when, this, when these documents were written, it was written in a day when people very much believed the Sumerian gods. They believed in the Babylonian gods, the Egyptian gods, and, and as you just said, the uh, Greek gods. And you get the passages like in Acts where it says that they they thought that Barnabas was Zeus and that Paul was Mercury, messenger Mm -hmm. of the gods. And you come to realize that, wow, if you look at the Bible from the mythological worldview, it it really starts to come alive because you see the context. You know, they say in real estate, the key word is location, location, location. You know, in, in Bible study, it's context, context, context. 
And so when you're looking at the Torah, for instance, and you realize that each of the ten plagues of the Exodus were a direct assault against ten different gods of Egypt, mm -hmm. and you've got the Ten Commandments there, and you know, the first one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Right. You know, I, I think I've always just read past that, but then one day I looked at it and said, wait a minute, who are these other gods, and why is God so concerned about it? And I don't believe he's worried about it at all, but he's worried about it for, for our sake. And as we see throughout the scriptures, God's constantly, especially in the Old Testament, trying to call his people back to him because as the scriptures say, they're out whoring after other gods. They're following other, other gods. You know, one thing I like about your DVD, uh, Mythology and the Coming Great Deception, is that you have a lot of documentation in it. That is to say, you go back and historically document uh, a number of uh, events that are recorded in secular history and you draw comparisons between those and what the Bible says and you make I think an excellent case for the this this whole hypothesis that uh, the Bible is not just written out there in in space it, it is tied in to history and to the civilizations of the past yeah very much so and uh, I had the privilege in 2005 of going on two different trips uh, in the same year I went on the uh, missionary journey of Paul on a sailing ship through the mm -hmm. Greek Isles. So I went where Paul went, oh. the way he went. Wow. And, and part of that, we got to go to Patmos also and uh, see where John received the revelation. And then later the same year, we also got to go to um, Israel and do the footsteps of Jesus through the Holy Land. Mm -hmm. And so going in these locations, especially like in the Greek Isles and stuff, and seeing all of these temples and, and remnants of, of the old gods all over the place, it really helps you to put the scriptures in context again, where Paul is standing there next to, you know, when he's walking through the marketplace there, you know, you got the Acropolis off to there, and you got Mars Hill, and down in the marketplace, there are shrines to all these gods. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, Paul, you know, sees one, <laughs> they even have one to the unknown god, so he's like, oh, I'll work with that one, you know. And sure. so, but to actually stand in those locations and put yourself in the mindset of the people like Paul, in this case, uh, it really, it's very eye-opening. And, and you really realize that, wow, we are taught these things as myth in school, as you say, just fancy stories. But you realize there is, there is truth in there that at least people of those days, they believed it as truth. Now, for the second part of the title here, The Coming Great Deception. What is The Coming Great Deception yeah. from your perspective? Well, uh, it really deals with Nimrod, uh, okay. largely. Um, but it also ties in things like the Anunnaki. Uh, you've got the History Channel and the Ancient Aliens series right. are in season three now. They've got two, two seasons complete and they're in the third season now. And they're always talking about Eric Von Daniken's book and Sitchin and some of these other right. guys that are talking about uh, the return of the Anunnaki, the, those who from heaven came, you know, these gods of antiquity coming back. And what I, I, I uh, came to realize, and I appreciate uh, L.A.'s book, uh, The Cosmic Chess Match, uh, talking about move and counter move. Uh, that God makes a move and the devil makes a move. And you see that it appears to me that he started, setting, he started to set things in motion thousands of years ago for a payoff, I believe, in our day. Uh, and so as we're seeing a, a rapid increase of UFO sightings, uh, you, you start to realize, you know, what's going to happen when, uh, it used to sound crazy to say a mile-wide spaceship parking over a city until you realize one parked over Stephenville, Texas in 2008. As a matter of fact, that was pretty well documented it in was. the news. I was surprised yeah. that most of the news media picked that one up. Stephenville, Texas is uh, southwest uh, of Fort Worth, out in a little bit out in the country. Uh, and uh, a, a gentleman, uh, there had been a wave of sightings in that area. 
And a gentleman uh, essentially went out in his backyard and discovered the whole sky was covered by one of these right. things. Uh, huge. And he's not the only one who's seen a huge vehicle. Well, I, you know, I started thinking about that, and as you say, used to, I joke about it, but it used to be like in the 70s and 80s, it used to be that guy that you could floss his teeth with rope, you know, <laughs> here, I got taken up in a spaceship, you know, right, you know yeah. some Yahoo that, you know, nobody ever heard of. Yeah. But now, you know, there are credible people, you know, there are people, you know, mayors and, you know, uh, government officials and, uh, you know, different people like that that are seeing these things, and more so these days. Uh, I put together a little UFO montage for one of those DVDs, about eight minutes long, showing UFO sightings over the last eight years or so, well, actually, last three years. But just in the last three months, there have been almost as many sightings in the last three months as there have been in that little montage that I put in up. In your presentation, you, you document the fact that uh, you believe that modern man, say man in the last 50 years, is being prepared for a modern unveiling uh, of the ancient myths, in, 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 sort of in new clothing. Tell yes. us about that. Well, uh, we were talking about it last night, that... Um, You've got all these commercials and stuff coming out right now. I think it was a Scion uh, car commercials uh, with Zeus, you know, in the commercials and yeah. Mother Earth and whatnot. And it's interesting, you know, JR put out an article several months back in your magazine talking about how Mount Hermon was referred to as Mount Scion, S-I-O-N. And so you got this car, S-C-I-O-N, but it's <laughs> pronounced the same way. And you've got these gods in these commercials. And come to realize that the, these ancient gods are all around us constantly, all over Washington, D.C., for one thing. All the different monuments and stuff are, are made after these guys. And, mm -hmm. and so I began to think that when it talks about the Great Deception, every kid in school has to read the Greek myths. Yeah, every kid in public school is reading the Greek mythology. Yeah. They're not reading the Bible, but they're reading the Greek mythology. And just this morning, I saw uh, Laura Bush on TV on the Today Show talking about the need for education. And she's sitting underneath a huge statue of a god. I believe it was Apollo with a zodiac going around him. This massive statue of the god. And the camera pulls way out. So you see the statue of the god and, and Laura Bush talking with this other, uh, the interviewer. And she's talking about how we have to educate our kids. We have to educate our kids. And the camera's going in on her coming off of this Greek god. And I'm like, I believe that has, it's definitely going to uh, be part of the great deception for the devil to be constantly putting this in our face uh, on a regular basis. Well, we're talking to Rob Skiba. He has produced uh, really a couple of DVDs. We're going to be talking about uh, the first one today, and again, uh, on another program, we're going to be talking about the second one, the Mount Hermon-Roswell connection. Now, that's, a, that's a, a, an interesting title in and of itself, uh, and we're going to offer you these DVDs right now for uh, 1995 each. Uh, and believe me, you will be transfixed when you when you start to watch uh, Rob's documentation. He's got uh, a, a lot of fascinating connections. In fact, that's what I like about this is that you've you have connected secular historical events to to Bible texts in very specific ways, and it makes a very very uh, uh, telling uh, presentation that you need to share with your Christian friends because the world is changing. And uh, when I get back to talking with Rob in just a moment, we're going to talk about how the world is changing. Your perceptions need to change. Uh, you need to be uh, essentially educated uh, uh, on what Satan has in mind for 21st century society. And in, in many ways, it's not a pretty picture. Mythology, The Coming Great Deception, yours for 1995. The Mount uh, Herman Roswell Connection, also 1995. Uh, but 
I want to uh, to make a special offer. If uh, if uh, you order these two DVDs plus uh, the Ancient Book of Enoch commentary that J.R. Church and I produced, altogether this would come to about a $69.95 total, and we'll just uh, take $10 off of that and and uh, send it to you for $59.95. Just ask for the Rob Skiba package when you call. You get all three DVDs, and, and believe me. Uh, Rob spends a lot of time referring to the book of Enoch, and, and Rob, in a moment, I want to ask you a couple of things about that. Uh, call uh, the 800 number on your screen, 1-800-475-1111, and ask for either the two DVDs separately, or both of them, or the Rob Skiba package, all three. And by the way, uh, the uh, book of Enoch uh, commentary set that J.R. and I did has four DVDs in it, so uh, it's got a few hours, and you'll really enjoy it. Rob, let's talk about the book of Enoch. Uh, a lot of people kind of want to throw it away. Say, oh, we can't depend on the book of Enoch because it's not um, canonized scripture. It's not the Bible. And yet, and I think you do a really good job of this, you point out that much of the Bible gets its information from the book of Enoch. In fact, Jude is most obvious. Jude quotes Enoch. But there are other places where the audience uh, who reads the Bible is expected to know some of the things that are only found in the book of Enoch. Right. Yeah, Judah, in our modern way, we, we would say he cut and paste <laughs> yeah. you know, entire sentences right into his, his book. Uh, but what I find interesting is when we look at our 66 books, when we look at uh, Genesis, it's the first book uh, of our Bible, right? And you're only six chapters into the first book, and and Moses throws out a word, Nephilim, which presupposes two things, that he knows what a Nephilim is and that his audience does as well mm -hmm. because he doesn't elaborate on it. Right. So where did they get that information from? And I understand Moses sat and talked with God personally, so I, so I get that. But he didn't feel the need to explain it any farther to his audience, which says to me they had to have some, whether it's oral or written, they had to have some knowledge passed down, I believe, from uh, ultimately the pre-flood world, uh, that was passed down through the generations after the flood. Uh, but the fact that Jesus quotes from it, uh, uh, Peter quotes from it, Jude quotes from it, the early church fathers considered it scripture, some of them did, some of them uh, debated it. Uh, but in my view, if it's good enough for Jesus, Peter, and Jude to, to, to quote from it, it's good enough for me to at least look at it. Now let's talk about those, uh, those people called the Nephilim, or giants, uh, in, in Genesis 6. Uh, Enoch actually mentions them by name. And he, I think he mentions the ringleaders, basically, yeah. about 20 names. Right. And one of them uh, is called Azazel, sometimes pronounced Azazel, or uh, there are a number of dif different pronunciations. But, but he seems to have been a kind of a ringleader and actually has a reputation for being sort of the focus of evil. And later on, his name was incorporated into Jewish worship. Well, not only that, it was, uh, it's part of their ritual um, in Leviticus 16. It talks about, depending on your English translation, sending the scapegoat out to Azazel. Mm -hmm. Again, that presupposes that you know who Azazel is. Exactly. You're only in the first book of the Bible, or at least the first five books of Moses. You know, you're in Leviticus in this case, uh, and he's talking about this other character who, as you said, is, is, is named. And so uh, the book of Enoch tells you that 200 fallen angels landed on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared. And then, as you said, it goes on to uh, list 20 of them as sort of the captains over the, 
over the 200. And Azazel is listed, it's recorded, he's recorded as being the worst of all of them. And God actually makes a pretty extraordinary statement about him. He says uh, to the archangel Raphael, he says, uh, ascribe all sin, all sin to Azazel. Wow. Bind him in chains and put him in the desert place called, called Dudiel. And so when you see the Jews, they would, uh, this is actually tied to another scripture a lot of uh, believers are familiar with. Uh, I believe Isaiah 118, where it's talking about, though my sins be as scarlet, they're made white as snow. Mm-hmm. What a lot of people don't realize is that's actually tied to Azazel, the character of Azazel, because they, when they would send the scapegoat out, they would tie a scarlet ribbon around his horns and cut a piece of it off, send the scapegoat out to Azazel, and then take that piece of thread and, and, and tack it to the temple door. And supernaturally, it would change from scarlet to white to show that God had accepted their offering. Mm. And uh, another interesting piece of trivia is from for uh, 40 years leading up to the destruction of the temple, it didn't change. And so if you back off 40 years from 70 AD, where do you end up? You end up in the time of Christ. Right. And so, you know, God is saying, I'm not accepting any other sacrifice anymore. My sacrificial lamb is is the only one I'm going to accept. But it's directly tied to this whole thing about Azazel, which you know nothing about unless you read the book of Enoch. One of the interesting things Rob does, and I've got a sheet of paper here that that shows a chart where uh, the Nephilim are on earth for 1,200 years before the flood. But then comes a period after the flood, a period of 1,200 years uh, from the flood, roughly, to, to the kingdom of David. Right. And explain what you're doing there. I think this is most fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it's become a little bit controversial for me, um, simply because I, 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 there's most people that subscribe to a second incursion, that angels came down again mm-hmm. and mated with women. And I was raised never to uh, base any belief, doctrine, or anything on one scripture. You need confirming scriptures. And so uh, most people who believe in the second incursion will talk about uh, Genesis chapter 6, 1 through 4. Mm-hmm. And um, that's pretty much the only verse they have that specifically says the sons of God came down and mated with women. In the post-flood flood scenario, you constantly see references to the giants, but it's usually it with an, another part of it would say the descendant of so-and-so. You know, this giant was a descendant of, descendant of, descendant of. And they were typically all within the lineage of Ham mm-hmm. that, that they're described. So just based on that, using all these other uh, scriptures that refer to descendants of, I, I base my theory on, on the Nephilim seed perpetuating after the flood via genetics. You have the same problem either way. If you've got angels coming down and mating with women, uh, they produce offspring who mate with women again, who mate with women again. You've got a genetic issue either way. So now, let's talk about giants for a minute because I want to get this in before the end of our time oh, today. Yeah. Uh, today, if I were to go out and, and accidentally happen upon the skeleton of a giant, and uh, if I excavated it, there would be a huge, huge cry. There, there, I think I might, I might be forced to hide it somewhere so that it couldn't go on display. But, and and there's, there seems to be an active campaign to hide the fact that there ever were giants on the earth. And yet, you, I think you make a very clear point that giant skeletons have been found. In our era, they are spirited away, I think probably uh, for the sake of propaganda, uh, to, to uh, disprove what the, what the Bible says is actually happened. Right. Now, we have giants coming all the way up. Of course, David and Goliath, famous story. And everybody thinks, well, these were just uh, glandular cases. You know, they were <laughs> r- regular human beings who just, <laughs> uh, for some reason, grew too tall. 
Not so, yeah, right? Too tall, too, twice as tall, three times as tall. That's, yeah. that's way tall. That's why I say, how do Kissing Cousins produce 12-footers and 15-footers, 18-footers? Yeah, right. And Amos 2.9 actually says that the, God describes the Amorites as tall as cedar trees. And I don't believe God's in the habit of telling tall tales like, you know, fish stories. Well, a thir- that would be 30 feet or so. Minimum. The, yeah. the, the cedars of Lebanon got to 150 feet. Wow. So if you're looking... 35 to 150 feet. I, again, I just take scripture for what it says. I try to take it literally. And that's mm-hmm. what I try to show in, the, in my chart that I developed is that f- they were on the earth for 1,200 years before the flood and they were still on the earth after the flood for at least 1,200 years leading up to the time of David when he, he and his mighty men took out the last of them. And so those are some of the things that I'm trying to pull out uh, up from the scriptures, which uh, I found people are really hungry for this information. Oh, yes. Especially young people because now the Bible is exciting. You know, young people like because they, you know, they see the Harry, Harry Potter, Harry Potter movies and the Lord of the Rings and all these different things, and they're familiar with the Greek mythology and stuff. But when you can show yeah. the scriptures, talk about these, and things. they've cut their teeth on sci-fi. That's right. Sci-fi to them is real, and the yeah. Bible is not real, right. and, and that's you know just backwards. To me, the Bible is more exciting than any science fiction ever written. Big time, and and it's been said. I think Steve Quayle might have uh, coined this phrase, but uh, the understanding of Genesis six and the Nephilim is the Rosetta Stone for understanding it, all, all of it. And it truly is, because when you unlock Genesis 6 with the understanding of the Nephilim, all of a sudden now it all starts to make sense. Why God says, wipe out the women, the children, the animals, everybody. Before, I, I couldn't understand that. It seemed like God was into yeah. genocide or something. Right. And, I, and I, it used to scare me, the Old Testament. But now I understand God is, is systematically wiping out uh, the Nephilim races in the Holy Land. Rob Skiba has produced what is really uh, a, an enrapturing uh, DVD. Listen, believe me, you put this in and you'll stick with it to the end. I did. Uh, I was just really drawn to the, to, to the way he pulls facts together. Uh, it's called uh, Mythology and the Coming Great Deception, yours for 1995. He's also produced the Mount Hermon Roswell Connection. There are facts in here that will just boggle your mind. Also 1995, and these run about an hour and a half each. Uh, and uh, we also would like to uh, put this together with, uh, with another DVD, we, which we offer it for twenty nine ninety five. It's called uh, The Ancient Book of Enoch. Put these all together, that would be about sixty nine ninety five, and we'll take $10 off of it. When you call the 800 number, just ask for the Rob Skiba package. You get all three of these for uh, $59.95, which, by the way, is a substantial saving. And the Book of Enoch commentary will help you understand Rob's DVDs because, Rob, you do refer to, uh, to Enoch quite a bit, and, and rightly so. And so just ask for the Rob Skiba package, and it is $59.95 plus shipping and handling. We've got just a little bit over a minute left. People need to wake up, and you're, that's basically the business you're in. You're, you're trying to... Uh, kind of wake up Christians and, and let them know the lateness of the hour, the fact that uh, some, of the, uh, some of the spiritual deception of the ancient world is, is soon to be unveiled on the modern world. Yes, and the devil is working really hard at it. When you look at like ancient aliens, they're constantly pushing this idea of panspermia, that the gods of the old ancient world seeded this planet. And I've been saying, what's gonna happen when one of those mile wide ships parks over a city and out pops the Anunnaki, and they say, hey, remember this Sumerian text? Hey, remember the Nazca lines in Peru? Remember Pumapunku and all these places? Yeah, that was us. And what are people going to believe? What's the church gonna believe? People from the stars are coming here as ambassadors, a satanic lie. 
You believe that? I believe it. We're really talking about the realm of the demonic, and you need to understand what's happening. And of course, Rob's uh, DVDs will help you. We're very pleased to, to have Rob here today. Rob, Thank we'll you. talk to you again on our next broadcast. Gary Stearman, reminding you to have a great day in the Lord and to keep looking up. Hello again, Gary Stearman with another Prophecy in the News daily update. It is September the 28th, a Wednesday, and once again we have Rob Skiba with us in studio. Hi, Rob. Hi, Gary. Thank you. We're going to continue to talk about some things that Rob has produced. Uh, yesterday we, we spoke uh, uh, in particular about his DVD called Mythology and the Coming Great Deception. Uh, he has another DVD uh, called the Mount Hermon Roswell Connection. Mm -hmm. And we're going to offer these to you in just a moment. And, of course, you're watching on the website. So you'll be able to kind of uh, look at a description, a picture, a close-up picture of those DVDs and see them for yourself. Got to talking to Rob, and we have a lot in common, some of our observations. Uh, he noted that he had read our September 2011 Prophecy in the News. The cover here is, uh, has the title of the lead article, The Mystery of Asenath, the... Egyptian bride of Joseph. Now she's a goddess. That yeah. is, uh, the the wife of of uh, Joseph would be would have been dedicated to the goddess, mm -hmm. and that goddess uh, has tentacles that reach all around the world, reach down mm -hmm. from Joseph's day right to into our own day, yes. and that's what that article is about. Yeah. And I know you are preoccupied with the same general idea. Yeah, what was amazing is I was right in the middle of doing my own research on, on the same topic when your magazine came in the mail. Mm. And I read it, I'm like, wow, he's talking about the exact same thing here. And, and what's, what's interesting is uh, my wife had give, gotten me a book on the myths of Mesopotamia, and I was mm -hmm. going through the various epics, and of course that's Ishtar. Uh -huh. And uh, <coughs> Semiramis, Ishtar, Isis, they're all the same, you know, Nimrod has many names, but so does his wife <laughs> have just yes. as many names. And what, what was, was really interesting to me is that Ishtar uh, was from Ur, and the mm -hmm. patron god of Ur was Sin. And so I thought, oh, how, is, how interesting that she's the daughter of Sin, and God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, wow. <laughs> out, out of the place where sin was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but she's everywhere. Um, you know, we've got the Statue of Liberty, we've got Columbia Pictures, you know, and the Mount Hermon Roswell connection, I talk about what I call the Genesis 6 experiment where the sons of God came down to the daughters of men. 200 angels came down from the sky and landed on Mount Hermon. Well, you got Columbia Pictures where here's, here's uh, Ishtar, Isis, uh, Semiramis, standing there, Columbia Pictures, holding her torch like the Statue of Liberty. Mm -hmm. And what happens? What did you say, 22 stars? 22 stars her? come around her in a yeah. circle. <coughs> right around and her head. This is a direct count counterfeit of God's pattern, yeah. which is the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Yes. And it, it's the false gods always try to counterfeit what the true God does. Oh, constantly. And, and, uh, and even Paramount Pictures shows that. It shows stars coming through from space through the clouds and circling a mountain peak. Almost a, reenact a reenactment of what happened on Mount Hermon. That's right. When the dark angels came down. That's exactly right. And, you know, I, I've come to realize, especially with regard to television, there's a reason why they say turn the channel to your favorite programming. You know, when you look at who's in wow. charge of the media, yeah. and there's basically six corporations own all of media in this country, they're Luciferian-owned co uh, companies. And so when you realize who their gods are, 
who they channel for the programming that we all consume every day, uh, you realize that it, we are constantly being inundated with information and themes that go right back to these characters. And I so appreciated what you wrote uh, regarding uh, Asineth. I'm not sure how you <laughs> pronounce her name, right? Asineth is yeah, well Asineth. Uh, but how Joseph redeemed her from the pagan god worship that she was associated with through marriage. You know, it's fascinating. In, in those days, in the pagan days of Greece and Rome and Egypt, and I, I know you're aware of this, but uh, mothers and dads used to name their children after gods and goddesses. Right. Well, Asenath, Joseph's bride, is, uh, uh, has her name means dedicated to Neith, or she mm. who is of Neith, who was the Egyptian goddess of fertility. Right. And, and so Joseph married a wife who had been dedicated to a goddess, but he redeemed her. That is, when she, when she became uh, uh, married to him, it was an act of redemption on his part. Yeah. She was the daughter of the high priest of On, or Thebes, right. as, which means that she had a direct connection to this evil, but he pulled her out of that. And uh, in that respect, Joseph uh, manifests himself as a type of Christ. Mm, that's amazing. Uh, and so some of the things we've been talking about kind of off the air is the meaning of names. And yeah. uh, Chuck Missler has done an amazing thing. He, he's got a list of the, the names uh, from Adam to Noah and what their names translate to. Which, if from Adam to Noah means the man appointed mortal sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching his death shall bring the despairing rest or comfort. And uh, looking through the scriptures with that in mind that the names mean things. What was extraordinary yes. to me in my research looking at all this stuff and, and Nimrod in particular is the, the Egyptian hieroglyph for Osiris is, uh, if you can imagine, two columns. On the left, you've got the sideways view of a throne. On the right column, you have an eyeball mm -hmm. and then a silhouette of a man looking towards the throne. So his Egyptian hieroglyph for Osiris translates to he who has his eye on the throne or he who eyes the throne. Mm -hmm. Well, my wife and I are studying Hebrew, and we've got a little chart here that shows the Hebrew letters and how each letter has a different meaning. And the Hebrew idiom is every letter has seven meanings, therefore every word has 70. Mm -hmm. So the word has not only the meaning of the word itself, but also the combined meaning of the Shoresh and the, and the letters itself that comprise the word. Mm -hmm. When I looked at the letters that spell Yeshua, which his name means salvation, Lord is salvation, but if you take the meaning of the letters, it literally translates reading right to left as the Hebrews do, the Yeshua translates to the hand that destroys the establishment of the eye. Hmm. And so the you look at the back of your dollar bill and all of our Luciferian you know, iconography and everything uh, regarding our government and the monuments, and they're all dedicated to Nimrod, essentially, Osiris in this case. Mm -hmm. um, Jesus is the hand that destroys the establishment of that eye. It all comes out of that ancient pagan system, uh, Baal worship, in its many manifestations throughout the world, right yeah. down to today. And the fascinating thing is, and again, y your title here would seem strange to someone who was not a little familiar with it, the Mount Hermon-Roswell connection. How could right. Mount Hermon, the gate of the fallen angels, mm -hmm. possibly be related to Roswell, which happened in 1947? Yeah, right and before yet, Israel became a nation. Yeah. And it's all interconnected. And one of the major coincidences, quote unquote, hmm. in the modern world is that uh, Roswell and the the date of the the, the going public of, uh, of of this kind of uh, uh, ancient worship uh, is linked 
with Israel, the mm -hmm. formation of national Israel. Those two That's things right. happened at the same time. That's right. And it, it brings me back to the statement Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. When Israel became a nation, all the prophetic teachers and speakers and researchers all said, this is a big sign here, Israel becoming a nation. So the countdown clock essentially started Absolutely. from that moment. And so and it, you've got this happening with Israel in the last days, but then you've got this exact parallel event happening with the reintroduce, the, 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 the uh, repeat essentially of the fallen activity taking place in the form of aliens. Rob's two videos, Mythology and the Coming Great Deception, 1995, uh, the Mount Hermon Roswell Connection, 1995. Uh, we would like to include uh, what I consider to be a, almost a companion, the Ancient Book of Enoch. This is four DVDs. It's a commentary on Enoch, and, and Rob refers to the Book of Enoch a lot. So all of this makes a nice package, and we're calling it the Rob Skiba package, which would ordinarily be uh, $69.95. We're discounting at $10. $59.95, call the 800 number, ask for the Rob Skiba package. And I don't do this lightly, by the way. Uh, when we recommend something on Prophecy in the News, it's because we've watched it, we've gotten something out of it, and we think you will too. And I've watched both of these DVDs from one end to the other. I guarantee you they will uh, open your eyes in, a, in an amazing way to the reality of Scripture. Rob, any final thoughts? Oh, man, I just, I'm excited. The, the times we live in, it's, a, it's extraordinary to think that we are in the terminal generation and that we're going to see some amazing things happen. And by the way, be in prayer for Rob because he's uh, embarked on a large-scale project mm -hmm. to create a, a television series that is involved with much of what he's talked about in his DVDs, but also it's going to be a television series when which when produced will make people think about scripture mm -hmm. it'll make them it'll move them back to the bible and anything that does that i consider worthwhile right on <laughs> rob come see us again thank you will do gary stearman reminding you to have a great day in the lord and as always keep looking up well rob skiba welcome once again to prophecy in the news thank you gary Today we're going to focus on a fascinating subject, which you will find fully expounded in, in this DVD, The Mount Hermon Roswell Connection. Wow, what a title, and what a subject. We're going to start right out with some scripture, which I'm sure you've read many times, but we're going to put a, a little bit different tilt on it today. Rob, uh, Book of Matthew, an incident in the life of Jesus and the disciples. Yeah. Uh, what, what got me started on all that was a scripture in Matthew 24, actually. Matthew 24, 37, where Jesus says, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And the first thing we have to say is, well, what differentiates the days of Noah from any other time in history? There's yeah. always been earthquakes, there's always been famine, there's always been war, there's always been people sinning. The only thing that differentiates that day is the event of Gen Genesis, what I call the Genesis 6 experiment. Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God came down to the daughters of men. Yes. Well, the book of Enoch uh, references them landing on Mount Hermon in the days of Jared. And what's really fun, and I, I would say to anybody out there watching this, they could go on Google Earth and check this out for themselves. Go on Google Earth and look for Mount Hermon in southern Lebanon. And then put your cursor over the center of the mountain range, because it's kind of a long mountain range. And uh, I've got to give credit where credit is due. David Flynn has done some amazing research on this. And, uh, and it's also, uh, JR did some research on this too. It had it in his article on Mount Hermon. Uh, determined, if you, if you go on Google Earth, you can see the center of the mountain range is 33 
33.33 degrees north by 33.33 degrees east from the Paris prime meridian. So when you see it on Google Earth, it's going to give you the Greenwich, but if you subtract the difference between Greenwich and Paris, it'll give you 33.33. So I find that really fascinating because we know that one-third of the angels fell at Lucifer. Well, one-third is 33.33%. So how poetic that the, the fallen angels landed on the only geographical location on the entire planet that fits their numbers, like a crosshair. Yeah, that meridian uh, that once went through Paris was, uh, has since come to be called an evil meridian or sometimes called the, the devil's, devil's meridian, right? Yeah, devil's line. In the occult, they call it the devil's line. And, and interestingly, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the, the number 33 has some yes. esoteric connections as well. Sure does. But here are Jesus and the disciples at a place called Caesarea Philippi. Yes. And I know you've been there. People who go to Israel traditionally visit the the, uh, the springs there. The, the water comes gushing out. At the water from Mount Hermon comes right down to to uh, to Israel and gushes out into a huge pool. Yeah. And there is the location where Jesus was talking to his disciples, and that's a fascinating connection. Sure is. Um Again, context, context, context. If you, yeah. you think about the context in which the stories in the Bible took place, I never understood this particular passage in Matthew 16. Because Jesus asks the question, who do men say that I am? And, you know, some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the prophets, whatever. And then Peter says what he says. And, and Jesus gets so excited. And I never understood that because from the day he was born, the angels sung that he was the son of God. You know, when he grew up, the prophets told him he was the son of God. Uh, the, uh, he picks Nathaniel to be his disciple. He declares he's the son of God. He says, why? Because I saw you under the fig tree. You're going to see greater things than that. Every time a demon-possessed person saw him, they threw themselves on the ground and s cried out, you are the son of God. You are the Christ. And Jesus would tell them to be quiet. So from the day he's born, all through his ministry, people told him he was the son of God. So why in the world does he get so excited when Peter says it? And I could never understand that scripture until I actually stood in the location where that conversation took place in front of the altar to the Greek god Pan at the base of Mount Hermon in Caesarea Philippi. As a matter of fact, Caesarea Philippi, uh, back in the old days, uh, back in the days of the Roman Empire and before, used to be called Panias. Mm -hmm, yeah. And the Arabs still refer to it as Banias in the Arabic tongue. Right. And that is uh, basically a salutation to the god, the god, Greek god Pan, yeah. Panias, and Pan, of course, is the uh, the representative Greek god. Yeah, he's a satyr. He's a half goat, half man, but he was known in the ancient world as the god of shepherds. So how poetic that the good shepherd stood in front of the Greek god of shepherds to ask this very profound question. But uh, when uh, I'm a filmmaker. So I see things through like the lens of a camera all the time. When I'm looking around, I, I feel like I have a camera attached to my head. And so it's called a rack focus. And this is the way I see the scene. If I was shooting this scene, that Jesus would have his back to the altar of Pan. He asks the question. All the disciples are saying what they say. And I could see Peter kind of s sitting back and saying, wait a minute, the rabbi already knows who we think he is. Why is he asking this? You got James and John, everybody else. So some say Jeremiah. Some. And, I, and I see Peter looking at Jesus. So Jesus is in focus. And then all of a sudden Jesus goes out of focus and Pan comes in focus, right? And then Pan goes out of focus and then Jesus comes back in focus and Peter goes, oh, I get it. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, that's right, Peter. And what a place for this to happen. Uh, basically at the foot of the runoff from the top of yeah. Mount Hermon, which is snow-capped in the wintertime. Uh, the snow melts, the water runs down to Bonius or Caesarea Philippi. 
and, and gushes out of this great big spring, which is below a cave. Yes. And that cave has carvings where you can place the statues of little gods around. Right. And that cave was the site of occult, esoteric worship, the mm -hmm. worship of the very gods who are associated with Mount Hermon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is if you're looking at the altar of Pan, off to the right is a foothill at the base of Mount Hermon, where on the top of it was the uh, fortress of Nimrod. Hmm. who was the first Antichrist that tried to create a one world system with God, uh, without God. And off to the left, there was a place that even to this day is still known as the Gates of Hades. And so when, when Jesus said in the Gates of Hades, which I always maintain is not just a place, it's the brother of Zeus. Hades is an entity as much as it is a place. And so when Jesus, at the base of Mount Hermon, where all these Nephilim gods like, oh, you know, Zeus, Poseidon, Hades, where these guys originated from Mount Hermon, uh, Jesus said the gates of Hades will not prevail against the revelation you have. Maybe it's named Hades because he's down there today, locked up. He is. And so uh, yeah. it, it, they gave the place uh, the An name appropriate name. <laughs> <laughs> named so, after him. So we have this, uh, this incident, this very famous incident. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock mm -hmm. uh, will I build my church and the gates of hell or Hades shall not prevail against it. Yeah. And those words are aimed at this, this uh, scenario, at, at, yes. the, at this scene in which they're standing. Well, what's extraordinary to me about that is you got Genesis uh, chapter 3, the first prophecy in the Bible, where God says that the, the, the seed of Eve is going to crush the, the devil's head. No. So that, you know, if you're receiving that prophecy, what are you thinking? You're thinking, man, I don't want my head crushed. So the first thing he does is he messes with the seed. Turn the page of Genesis 6. And that event that took place to try to prevent Jesus from existing in the first place happened at Mount Hermon. And so this is at the end of Jesus' ministry. His destination is Jerusalem. So why did he take this enormous detour to southern Lebanon, northern Israel, <laughs> to have this little conversation? He's making a point, not just to his disciples and to us, but he's making a point to the fallen angels who tried to prevent him from existing in the first place. And where it says he took them to the top of a high mountain, yeah. well, it's the highest mountain in the regions, and most scholars believe, as I do, that that's where he took them, to the top of Mount Hermon, where today there is a, a UN radar outpost located at the, you know, it makes you wonder what they're looking for, yeah. you understand the strategic location, but Jesus in his day and the UN and of our day could look down from that location uh, and right, right across from the UN uh, radar outpost is a cross where somebody has marked where they believe the mountain of transfiguration where, that, where the event took place. You know that's fascinating because if you go back before the flood there was a Mount Hermon. Before ever there was a flood, before ever there was an Israel, there was a Mount Hermon. Yeah. And it gets its name uh, Ermon from the fact that the fallen angels and there were fallen angels uh, took an oath there. Yes. They bound in a bound themselves together in a solemn oath to do the work they had set out to do, and they knew that they were against God when they did it. Oh yeah, they did. But uh, that the etymology of the of the word Herman is to take an oath, and they took an oath at that place. And all those years later, and I I don't have the number in my head, but thousands of years later, there's Jesus standing at yeah. that location. At that very location. And, and declaring what he did in Matthew 16. It's astounding. And it says from that point on that he went preaching about his death, burial, and resurrection and headed directly from that location to Jerusalem. 
Now, when you begin to look at the Bible this way, not as a, as a book of, uh, of poetry and not as a book of stories, but as a book of realities, mm -hmm. and, you, and you begin to connect these realities together, you get some idea of what goes on in Rob Skiba's mind, <laughs> because when he puts together his videos, his movies, and so mm -hmm. forth, that's what you're trying to do is make the Bible real, it, right? Bring, bring it to life. My, my life statement is bringing powerful visions to life on motion picture screens all over the world. And what that means is that this is the most powerful vision I've ever seen. How do Absolutely. we bring this to life in the way that the masses can receive it? Rob, let's uh, extend this story a little bit. Sure. Because the title, after all, and I'm looking at this here, and there's an ugly gray and some UFOs yeah. and Mount Hermon. The Mount Hermon Roswell connection. Everybody knows about Roswell. Yes. And I suppose our population is probably evenly divided between those who think it was just a uh, made-up story mm -hmm. and those who believe that something really happened there. Yeah. But there's a big story in Roswell, isn't yes, there? Yes, there is. Um, and it goes back to what I said earlier, the statement Jesus made, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Mm -hmm. And so we've already established one of the major things that happened in the days of Noah, you know, is you got these Nephilim guys walking around as a result of what happened on Mount Hermon on the 33rd right. by 33rd. Well, the interesting thing about Roswell, New Mexico, or actually the location is a little further up from Roswell, but the, mm -hmm. the location, uh, again, David Flynn talked about this, that uh, it's located on the 33rd parallel, right? Uh, but when they multiplied that particular location by the universal constant of pi, it gave them also gave them the longitude of that location, 104. Is that just a coincidence or a random spaceship crash? I don't think so. How could it be that precise that the location multiplied by pi would give you the longitude and it's on the same latitude as Mount Hermon? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I look at and, and let's just depart the subject that we're on for just a moment and talk about UFOs, which happens to be a, an interesting subject biblically, because I think of UFOs as uh, as what the ancients referred to as Merkava Muftim, the chariots of wonder, the fiery chariots of the Old Testament. Uh, they didn't call them flying saucers, but they might as well have, because they appear very often in, in the ancient world. And Rob, I have noted over the years that major UFO flaps are connected with developments in the life of the, of the nation Israel. Mm. Big, big UFO flap in 1897 called yeah. the airship flap, and you may have read about it. Mm -hmm. Airships appearing all over the world. Well, that was the year of the first Zionist Congress. Next big UFO flap, Kenneth Arnold, UFOs, Roswell, 1947, the year of the UN mandate. Right. There was another flap in 1952 when Israel had a war, 1956 when Israel had a war. There was another major flap in 67 uh, when Israel had a war. And you could just go on and on. And you have to ask yourself, what do UFOs have to do with developments in the life of Israel? Yes. Everything. Yes. Because those UFOs are uh, an expression of the dark forces that surround this world. And they are opposed to the regathering and the raising up of Latter-day Israel. And so it just makes perfect sense that they get a little bit upset, a little agitated every time something positive happens in yeah. the life of modern Israel. Yeah, I, the devil, uh, I believe, has an idea about his time, what the time is, but I don't think he knows all the details. That's right. And so every time something's going on with Israel, I think he's going, uh-oh, oh, we got to move now. we got to move. we <laughs> yeah. got to do something. Yeah. And it's it, the timing is very in interesting about the, the Roswell incident, as you pointed out, what's going on with Israel. So you got this 47, 48 
deal with Israel. But you've also got this scenario where this little shepherd boy throws a rock into a cave, cracks a jar, and out pops the book of Enoch and a bunch of other books. That The first chapter of Enoch itself, first few verses says, this book is not for this generation, but for a future generation that shall live in the time of tribulation. Well, we're like, hello. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's the book that goes into great detail to help us understand what's going on with what I call the Mount Hermon Roswell connection. Well, I'm so sure that was all together. just a coincidence. Oh, yeah, just a coincidence. But <laughs> <laughs> totally just a coincidence. And, and we don't believe in coincidences, mm -hmm. of course. But now we have Roswell. What happened at Roswell? Roswell was uh, a time that I think everybody associates with the U.S. government keeping the, a gigantic secret. What is the secret that the United States government is keeping? And, and there, I can't count the number of sci-fi films and productions yeah. that have been made about that great secret. We think of the X-Files, you yeah, know. Right. And we think of uh, uh, Scully and Mulder and Mulder saying the truth is out there. Yes. And he's looking for the truth. And of course, we as students of the Bible know where the truth is. And the Bible talks about all this. And it talks about a rising of the dark powers in the latter days. Yeah, and that's why we're trying to talk about it because the church at large is not talking about this. So you got yeah. Eric Von Daniken and all these guys on the History yeah. Channel talking about this, Discovery Channel talking about this, movies, there's almost every week a new movie right. coming out, all these, V, the event, you yeah. know, all these shows on TV. So the devil is actively putting this message out, but there's so few people in the body of Christ that are telling the truth about what these things are. And so that's what we feel called to do, is try to expose these things from a biblical perspective. Now let's talk about... Uh, some Old Testament characters, and I know that, that uh, you're working on, a, on a, a project right now. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit later. But the idea that these angels that fell so long ago in the days of Jared, before the flood, uh, may be released in the latter days and may, yes. may begin to torment men again. And essentially, the book of Revelation revolves around that idea. Uh, tell us what how you've included this in, in your, your, your video here, the Mount Hermon Roswell connection. One of the things I talk about is it's in the book of Enoch uh, chapter 10, I believe. Yeah, chapter 10, uh, verse 12, that it, it talks about them, the, the uh, fallen angels who participated in what I call the Genesis 6 experiment are buried under the sands of the earth for 70 generations. Well, Psalm 90 verse 10 defines a generation as 70 years. Simple math, 70 generations times 70 years, it's 4,900 years. If you back off 4,900 years from today, we land smack in the days of Jared in the pre-flood world. And the Bible speaks rather openly of angels being imprisoned, being yes. entrapped. Uh, you and I had a conversation about uh, four angels that are now entrapped in the river Euphrates right. and they will be released in the days of the tribulation. Uh, a lot of people look at narratives like that in the Bible and they say well that's kind of mythology that's uh, a spiritual description uh, of something else but surely there are not angels trapped in the river of Euphrates. No I, like I said I've said it before I take the Bible literally and whenever, and whenever it's speaking allegorically or symbolically the scriptures themselves usually tell you. Sure. It says oh by the way this means this. this we're here's a little word picture for you but it means this. So when, when John writes that the four angels who are bound in the river Euphrates are released, I believe it's a sixth trumpet judgment, uh, again, that presupposes that the audience, first of all, that John knows what that means and that the audience is aware of it. Uh, again, you don't know that without reading the book of Enoch that talks about them being buried under the sands of the earth for a specific amount of time. 
And so I believe those, I don't know who those four angels are, but I believe they fall in the category of what's written about in Enoch chapter 10. Now both Peter and Jude speak of imprisoned angels. And, and by the way, Enoch speaks of angels. Uh, they knew they were judged. In fact, Enoch clearly says they knew that what they were doing was wrong when they did it, and the, hence they bound themselves together with an oath right. so that nobody would break away and give up the game. But having bound themselves together and, and having done the deed, in other words, they essentially populated the earth in a way that the Lord did not approve of, they received sentence. And, and you make an interesting uh, connection there that they asked Enoch yeah. to, to represent them. Yeah. Now, this is a story that's fascinating because it has, it has repercussions, I think, that come right down to the present day. I, I really think that they do. Um, one of the things that I talk about in that video is the severity of the judgment that Enoch goes into great detail. In fact, the angels, they essentially hire Enoch to be their attorney, basically to have a petition before God, and God says, no, okay, I'll play this little game with you, fine, I'll, I'll pronounce judgment through Enoch. Enoch, this is what you're going to tell them. No, you don't receive forgiveness, I will not forgive you, you will have no peace, they're going to have to watch your own children be massacred, then they're going to be bound in chains, in everlasting chains of darkness, uh, and Tartarus, essentially, the Second Peter and Jude both reference these things. And so, uh, looking at the severity of the judgment, I don't believe that any, any angels are going to repeat what that happened there, except for maybe those angels. They may do it again, as it was in the days of Noah. They're going to be released again. But where I go with that is that what we see in the modern account is scientific experiments taking place, where uh, people are abducti abducted by greys or aliens, uh, and sperm is taken, and eggs are taken, and, and embryos are implanted, and uh, babies are removed. It's all very scientific. And so when I'm looking at all this genetic scientific experimentation taking place and Dr. David Jacobs and others talk about what appears to be a hybridization program that's going on is I believe that's exactly what they're doing. Well, you, you know, uh, our friend Tom Horn uh, is, is very much uh, taken with the subject of uh, transhumanism. Yes. At the human level, there are, are scientific laboratories right now involved in creating superhumans by infusing uh, the human genome with different genes, maybe from other animals and so forth, and they're trying to create super soldiers and super this and super that. Yeah. And of course we know where that'll end up. There's only one way that can go. Not in, good. In a very <laughs> dark way. But, but you're talking about uh, angels attempting to repeat what their elders did right. so many thousands of years ago. Right, exactly. Uh, and and you're seeing it all too. And uh, some of the ancient texts, like the Book of Jasher, specifically says that one of the things these entities taught men to do was the art of mixing one species with another. In fact, when I was in, uh, uh, I've been to Greece twice, and when I was in Athens, I was looking around. You can't look anywhere without seeing the toppled remains of a god or a temple. Yeah. And you see satyrs and minotaurs and centaurs everywhere you look. Oh, yeah. So I thought to myself, man, you know, I'm a Star Wars fan, so I'm thinking nobody's going to remember Yoda 4,000 years from now. You know, George Lucas said he was creating a modern mythology. Well, if all these creatures were, were just the, um, out of the imagination of a blind poet named Homer, nobody's going to remember them so strongly in their collective consciousness 4,000 years later. So I came home from that trip and I told my wife, I said, you know all those animal-human hybrids in mythology? I think they were real. And the next morning, uh, we had this conversation that night, went to bed. Next morning, she checks her email and sees that the BBC had uh, produced an article that said, scientists had successfully cloned a sheep with a human heart. And the article went on to say, if we keep doing this, the genes will eventually fuse together, and we're going to end up with animal-human hybrids. 
And I'm like, man, here it is. We are watching prophecy being fulfilled in our day exactly as it was in the days of Noah. And once you start this, how do you unscramble the omelet? Once you begin to create these things, there's no end to it. Pandora's box. Now, when you go to ancient Egypt uh, and look at the wall paintings, you see... uh, creatures with the bodies of men and the heads of birds, yeah, the sure. bodies of men and the heads of a jackal, on yeah. and on and on. Yes. And you say, what imaginations these people had. Maybe their imaginations were not so much imagination. <laughs> they were painting and carving what they saw. Yeah. And they worshipped these, uh, these creatures as gods, taking us right back to that Mount Hermon yes. uh, experiment. Yep. As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. So, uh, where should we go with this discussion? Uh, other than to recommend well, that, that you, you watch the Mount Hermon Roswell connection, the, the, uh, I guess your burning desire, and mine too, I'm beginning to be really, really uh, infused with the idea that it's high time to educate the church yes. in, in these matters so that they will not be blindsided mm-hmm. uh, by a wave of deception that's coming. Well, there, there are uh, quite a few watchmen on the wall. You've been doing this for 20-something years now. Um, L.A. is out there talking about it. Tom Horn and a lot of people right. are out there talking about this stuff and doing conventions. But we just came back from the future Congress, and there are about seven, 800 people there. But there's 300 million people in the country, and 7 billion people on the planet. So how do we get it out to the masses? And, and God has laid it on our heart to create essentially a science fiction TV series that I call Seed that's going to put all these things, wrap it up in a science fiction framework uh, so the masses can receive it. But the beauty of science fiction is that people go into science fiction suspending their disbelief. So if you've turned your disbelief filter off, that means you're open to believing whatever I want to tell you that churches won't let me say, you know, and the world isn't coming to church anyway, you know. So how do we get uh, two birds with one stone, as they say, get get the church, because Christians watch TV too, you know. Uh, So we essentially pitch it as lost the TV show Lost, meets Battlestar Galactica wrapped up in an X-File. Uh-huh. So it'll have the mystery and intrigue of Lost, the sci-fi appeal of Battlestar, uh, and the alien agenda themes and conspiracy themes that made the X-Files so popular, but written from a biblical worldview and served on a secular palette. Well, I wish you great success in that enterprise because uh, people need to have the other side. We've had uh, four decades or more, actually five or six decades of sci-fi, and I, I look at sci-fi as simply a propaganda machine. It's exactly <clears throat> what it is. Teaching people that there are aliens from outer space. And, and now our own scientific community believes it. They're, they're waiting for the appearance of that ambassador from Alpha Centauri or whatever. Oh, yeah. And when, when he comes, uh, they will welcome him. Except that he's going to be coming under false colors. And, and, and we're trying to awaken people to, to that fact and to the biblical nature of it. Well, uh, the DVD by Rob Skiba is called The Mount Hermon Roswell Connection. Uh, captivating is all I can say. You'll watch it to the end. I know you will. 1995, his, uh, his first DVD is Mythology and the Coming Great Deception, 1995. Uh, and we would like to add a... a, a, a commentary, four DV commentary on the ancient book of Enoch. Now, these are $19.95 apiece. This one sells for $29.95. Together, that would be $69.95. But we're going to take $10 off of that. $59.95. When you call 1-800-475-1111, uh, 
uh, just ask for the Rob Skiba package. And you get these uh, three DVD packages. Uh, that's uh, for $59.95 plus shipping and handling. 1-800-475-1111. It's called the Rob Skiba package. Rob, in about 30 seconds, what would you have people to do and to t when they read their Bible? Oh, man, just know that it's real, know that it's true, know that there is a coming great deception, and God does not want you to be deceived. I can't add much to that. We are spreading the word. Uh, we're trying to raise the consciousness of Christians all over the world to the fact that the, the days in which we're living are not like 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago. We are entering into a period of satanic propaganda unparalleled in the history of the world. So keep your eyes open uh, and keep your heart on the Lord. Have a great day in the Lord. And this is Gary Stearman, as always, reminding you to keep looking up. So after we did those recordings, they released them sequentially over time, uh, like one every other day or once a week, I forget what it was, but started releasing it on their uh, television show as well as on their YouTube channel and on their website. And then uh, on their website, once they started posting everything, they, uh, I'm back here in the archive here again, uh, I don't know what happened to the pictures, but um, Bob Ulrich did a review, they called it the Rob Skiba Package, uh, but he did a review, a really good write-up, actually, uh, on the two presentations as well uh, that included, uh, the package included the um, uh, Ancient Book of Enoch, a box set by J.R. Church and Gary Stearman. So they had the whole thing together there for uh, $59.95. Again, you can't get it there anymore. Um, you don't need to anyway because I put it out, out for free on YouTube. Um, but, uh, you know, they had that going there. We sold... Gosh, we had this. Have we sold something like 2,000 DVDs? Now I can't stress to you enough how broke we were at that time, because man, it was brutal. I mean, from April 2010 till you know here it was like October 2011. I mean, we were broke. We had no money, and uh, we were literally living one miracle to another that whole time. And when they started ordering DVDs, they weren't paying up front. It was one of those deals where. They would send an order, you would send the product with an invoice, and then they'd pay like 30 days out on the invoice. So I was like, man, we just we, we gotta we just gotta make them, you know. And I couldn't afford to go to like a DVD replication or duplication house because I didn't, you know, they want you to buy several hundred at a time, and I just didn't have the money. So I, I could afford to get like, you know, stacks of uh, blank DVD DVD ROMs, you know, at like a Fry's Electronics or someplace like that. And so we had like an assembly line going on in our living room where I was literally burning them on my computer. We got the Avery labels, you know, print, print the labels up, put the label on the disc, hand it over to Sheila, put it in the sleeve, put it in the shrink wrap thing and, you know, blow dry it. And <laughs> so it shrink wraps, put it in a box and we're sending them off like, you know, 25 at a time, 50 at a time or whatever. And man, we had all kinds of problems. The, the, the boxes were getting banged up. The, the DVDs were, you know, damaged sometimes or, or didn't always play because they were burned on the computer. It wasn't a, you know, professionally done DVD. So some people had trouble playing it on their computers. And, you know, it was like, oh, it was such a nightmare. But we we had to get them out. You know, it's like, get them out, get them out, get them out. And it easily sold about 2,000 DVDs in that first month. But we had to make them all first and then bill it and then wait for the, you know, invoice to get paid. Uh, ultimately, it was worth it. But, man, what a... <laughs> What a season that was. Um, and 
you know, Bob Ulrich's like, man, I, we've never had anything this successful. I mean, these things are great. You know, uh, they were like, let us know when you got something else coming out, you know, and even a full year later, they had, um, well, you can't see the stuff on the website now. Um, uh, yeah, like, okay, so this is October 2012. Doug Hamp, <laughs> he, he was doing really well back then, too. He, uh, they, they had like all kinds of, uh, his he had a whole. I only had the two DVDs. He had a whole bunch of DVDs. So they had multi-spread uh, advertisements in the magazine for Doug. At one point, Doug um, Bob Ulrich's like, you know, Doug should be buying his own island by now. <laughs> uh, I just had the two, but um, you know, Doug was really making his mark there too. But you know, over a year later, they still had on the front page of the website when you went to prophecynews dot com, you would see uh, the two videos that I just showed you were there so I mean they were doing really well but then uh, some of the people who bought them were ripping the DVD and then uploading it to YouTube and I saw one guy he had something like a quarter of a million views on YouTube like I mean it was a crazy number whatever it was it was like huge and I was flipping out because I'm like hey man you know like we gotta eat here <laughs> you know uh, you know now we're finally making some money on the DVD sales I'm like well that's like a quarter of a million DVDs we didn't sell but then I had to think about that and, you know, Sheila's like, yeah, but that's a quarter of a million people that didn't know you existed before. And it's true. You know, it was, it, it you know, yeah, it was a quarter of a million people that weren't buying DVDs, but it was a quarter of a million people that were being introduced to me and into my work. So, uh, you know, as that point, from that point on, I really started thinking differently uh, about a lot of things. And, you know, I was already putting out all of my blog content for free. But then I started thinking, you know what? I mean, if people just, mirror this stuff or, or rip it and put it up on YouTube, man, that's the, that's great advertising. I mean, I couldn't pay for that kind of advertising. So, uh, you know, that's why now I don't care if you want to copy my videos and put them up. Great. No problem. I don't care. Uh, mirror it, you know, just, you know, send a link back, you know, it might be nice, you know, to, to, to show people where they can go to, to, you know, learn more, uh, link to my blogs or to, you know, something else on my site or whatever. But, uh, you know, I've been giving away all of my materials for free, blogs, videos, you know, everything. So, I mean, people now, uh, after that, you know, it's like, yeah, you could buy the books or DVDs if you want to, but it's not your only option. The stuff's all out there for free on YouTube. So that really became our motto. But there were some things that I learned uh, later that it would have been nice to have known uh, at the time when we were, you know, desperately trying to burn DVDs and keep up with the demand. There's a website called Kunaki, K-U-N-A-K-I.com. No minimum order. It costs nothing to sign up. You can join for free. And you just, uh, they give you, you download a proprietary software that they they give you. And uh, you package up all the stuff that makes the DVD. So the label artwork, um, the jewel case or whatever, the DVD case insert and what the burned disc you you put it in their proprietary software it compresses it into like an exe file that you upload to their server uh and they'll build your store for you and everything and so like if you wanted to get a dvd you could just go right in fact uh let me see if i can just go to uh, my website babylonrisingbooks.com click on the store tab click on dvds to place an order click here this is the store they give you. So 
you upload your DVDs and all the stuff, you know, everything you need for the DVD itself. And this is the store that they create for you. And so the end user puts in their state, their zip code, and the quantity of whatever DVDs they want. And, you know, they could click on a DVD, uh, you know, for more information. It gives you the, a picture of the cover. You can rotate the case, show you what, what's there. And it gives you the inside, what's inside the the case when you open it. Information of how long the video is and all. You know, you, you feed all that information to them. So, uh, you know, the customer can get information about the DVD. They can put the quantity in, however many they want put in their state and zip code and calculate shipping and boom, you know, they're off and running. It sends all that information to Kanaki and Kanaki burns them really quickly um, and will drop ship directly to your customer. Now that would have been something really good to know <laughs> back then. I didn't learn about that till much later, but these are, you know, maybe you can learn from my mistakes if you're trying to get something going. Uh, you know, these are some helpful tips, hopefully for you. You know, if you, if you've got a project again, Whatever, there's an audience for everything. So, you know, I mean, between free resources like um, uh, Blog Talk Radio, start yourself a half-hour show per day. If you want to pay for more to have a longer show, you can have that option. You know, get the word out there, start pumping out. I mean, Facebook and all that stuff's free. YouTube's free. Um, Kunaki's free. You can sign up for Kunaki. You know, it doesn't cost you anything to, to put your DVD up there, and they'll start selling it. You know, well, you have to market it, but when the customers go there, they'll do all the selling for you. Um, so if you're a musician or if you've got audio stuff you want to put on an audio CD, you can do that. If you've got DVDs, you can do that. Uh, if you're writing a book, Amazon, you can publish on Amazon for free. Um, so, I mean, literally whatever message you have, you can get it out there. This is what I did. If I can do it, you can do it too. So hopefully that helps you uh, a little bit to understand how I got to where, I'm, uh, where I am today and how you could do the same. All right, so stay tuned for more uh, as we continue our trip down memory lane. Thanks so much for watching. I hope you enjoyed this video presentation. If you did, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, like the video, and share it on your favorite social media sites. There's a lot more to come, so stay tuned, and we'll see you back next time.